John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. have accessed entry 1087.1K1210, certificate number 41003, Porfirio Ruberosa. His legend precedes him the way lightning precedes thunder. He is the most interesting man in the world. Porfirio Ruberosa. Very nice. I'm not sure. Is that your Zorro tryout not reel? Not sure if it's very good, but there. I can't say I can't say something like that without, yeah, without doing it like Antonio Banderas. You don't just want to sit there and be like Ruberosa, Ruberosa, no, Porfirio Ruberosa. I always think of um, what is that from? Oh, uh, Richard Widmark in the old Murder on the Orient Express never says, never tries to say Poirot's name right. He's just always like Mister Perot. <laughs> Like he's talking to Ross Perot. <laughs> Mr. Perot, I need you to guard my train. I kind of I like that. Do you, you want to turn into a white guy that doesn't try to say foreign names? No, right? I definitely want to be the opposite <laughs> of that. I know. <laughs> Do you remember last year when uh, Quincy Jones, music legend Quincy Jones, started giving those just weird interviews to everybody? Yeah, super crazy <laughs> takedown interviews where he was like, Michael Jackson was a fraud. Uh, yeah, he said things like, I know who killed Kennedy. Uh-huh. He said... Uh, I was there when Marlon Brando had sex with Richard Pryor. Uh-huh. Uh, he huh. talked about how the Beatles were. I need to go back and read these interviews uh, more closely. <laughs> now, you're like, I'm intrigued. I am. He's sort of a role model for me. Well, he said the Beatles were all bad musicians. So right. I that, remember that. That might be a deal killer for you. No, I mean, the, the, you know, there, there are differing opinions on that. I think he's very super duper wrong, but he's Quincy Jones. He's entitled to. I know exactly. To feel and that and way. he knows it. You're Quincy Jones. You're 80. The governor's off the mouth. Right. You can say whatever and you've got stories and for it, sure. In particular, I mean, there are all kinds of, if you go on the guitar player forums, there are so many people that are like, Kurt Cobain was a terrible musician. It's like, <laughs> yeah, okay. You know, Steve Vai is a good musician, but. Who would you rather like? I mean, and actually, who would you rather spend a weekend with? Absolutely, Steve Vai. But um, well, especially today. True. Uh, no, is that too dark? Ouch. <laughs> Unless you're Pete Townsend leaving those comments, I think you should leave well enough alone. You know. Yeah. You know, one name that dropped in those interviews that probably did not make the headlines was the man that Quincy Jones remembered as the King of the Playboys. He remembered his time spent nightclub hopping with 
Don Porfirio Rubirosa. He's the world's most interesting man. He is, in effect, the most interesting man in the world. If there's ever been a real-life analog of the kind of suave Latino guy we've seen in commercials who has seen and done everything, it would be the mid-20th century uh, playboy man about town, Porfirio Rubirosa. Uh, Sounds like my kind of guy. I think you guys might have a lot in common. Mm-hmm. Uh, Quincy Jones remembered him in the interview. This is this is the eight word summary he gives in the interview. Amazing man, what a guy. Eleven inch. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's about time we did a show like this. Uh, yeah, I don't. You know, I don't want to be too delicate because I know the futurelings may have. They may be uh, ethereal beings. Sure, with, they may be sentient. <laughs> I, I, my guess is they would have little patience for our obsession with like fleshly matters like hmm. this. They're 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 a higher sort. I see what you're saying, and perhaps they're they're listening with their ethereal uh, wispy children. Sure, and they they're going to have to cover their uh, their ear gases. Right, but we I mean we're famously uh, a show that doesn't do very many swears, but we do talk about matters of the. Of the flesh. Well, when they're unavoidably attached to history, as they so often are. Right. And I mean, in it's this really, case. It's really hard to divorce, you know, mankind's three or four primal urges, uh, humankind, why not? Sure. Uh, from, from all the, the wars and, and treaties and social movements and trends that followed, right? I feel like our ethereal, uh, like, progeny are, they probably laugh at all of our endeavors because all we do is make war and rut and every once in a while, somebody, you know, writes a good melody. I mean, they probably just think of Porfirio Rubirosa the way we do when we like, the way we snicker when we hear some scientist theory about how dinosaurs did it, right? Oh, but, how they did it. Yeah. You know, like. What, what I'm, what I'm going to love about this episode most is all, hearing all of your Mormon euphemisms for sex. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we did not invent did it. No, but nobody ever said doing it before the Mormons were like. But I haven't heard uh, it in a long time. We can't say pork. We can't say boink. See, what? here they come. <laughs> these are from '80s teen comedies. These are these are not from uh, these are not from Sunday school. John. I hate to break this to you. The, doing it. Well, Quincy Jones's memories of uh, Porfirio appear to be, uh, they were no secret at the time, I guess. Like his, his, his fantastic physical attributes were, were well known at the time. Like Tr- Milton Berle. Exactly. Famously, uh, endowed. Yeah. And, and didn't mind showing it off pretty much all the things that all the depraved things that middle America thought were happening in the entertainment industry were actually happening. Isn't that the amazing part? Isn't that funny that yeah. during this time when everybody else was, was going to church and had to like... You know, you couldn't say a piano had legs because that would be too, you had to say stilts or something. <laughs> like people on the coast, Milton Berle really w- was just unzipping at Sardis. Yeah. And showing everybody. You know, my mom, when I talked, because she was a contemporary of, of that whole time. And uh, when I talked to her about the Rat Pack and that Vegas scene mm-hmm. and the show business at the time, she says like, w- w- nice people didn't like that music. That was, that that culture that now seems to stand in for yeah the early 60s early 60s yeah. she's like that was those were gangsters and they were that was gangster culture and if you liked it you were it was it was low brow 
That's and so funny. It plays now as this like suave. Sinatra kind was of pretty much Scooby Dooby Doo. Is that even true? Once Kennedy's in the White House, and like all these people are effectively, <laughs> uh, you know, American diplomats. Yeah, it was really. I mean, as far as she was concerned, it was a day classé culture. And Kennedy was slumming for reasons of his own. <laughs> but she was like all of them. You know, even Sammy Davis. She was like, he's a gangster. They're, it's, they're, they're performing for gangsters. It's gangster money. And it's, 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 it's gangster music. Which, you know, obviously has a little bit of like uh, anti-Italian overtones to her ideas, right? Or her, her cultural ideas. Look, if the Italians <laughs> want us to make, make us stop telling gangster jokes... I need to stop hearing the Godfather theme every time I go into a pizzeria. You know? Like, if, if every time I go someplace to eat tortellini, I'm going to hear... <laughs> then the, the, I, the Italian Anti-Defamation League cannot say a thing. It's, it's, it's funny, though, when she describes growing up in Ohio in the 30s, she said, you know, there, we didn't really have... There were no black people in her part of Ohio, Western Ohio, and... There were no Jews, so all of our racism was directed at Catholics. And I was like, right, Catholics. It must have been such a relief when Sammy Davis first appeared on the scene. I was like, so oh. she finally could broaden her scope. Well, no, you know, <laughs> she was she was liberally minded. But, uh, but yeah, interesting to think that there was, even in the late 60s, there still would have been an intact Italian or Latin culture. Oh, I don't know if Rubirosa was intact. Ooh. Sorry, I'm just kidding. Oh, boy. History, history does not relate. Kicks to the spleen, <laughs> these remarks. Sinatra did hang, uh, Ruby Rosa did hang out with Sinatra and these Rat Pack guys. He apparently taught Sammy Davis how to kiss a woman's hand in his patented Latin manner. Uh, was he, uh, was he uh, an aristocrat? Kind of. Let, let, let's, let's get into his origin story. Sinatra, the, the story about Sinatra is Sinatra asking him, uh, Ruby, everybody called him Ruby, Ruby, uh, don't you have a job? Like, what do you what do you do for a living? And he said, "You know, women are my living." Women, right? He considered romancing the best and the brightest of the Western Hemisphere uh, his full time job. Hmm. Um, and uh, Quincy Jones's memories of his uh, anatomy are backed up by uh, Truman Capote of all people in his memoirs. Hmm. And uh, his nickname in Paris apparently was Toujours Pret, always, always ready. It's the motto of the Coast Guard. Uh-huh. <laughs> was, you, can, you can interpret that as literally as you want, but he was he was good to go uh-huh. under under any circumstances. Women, women are my living. And the women, can, the women, the list of the women pretty much is you know the list the list you would make in your head. Ava Gardner, Jane Mansfield, Veronica Lake, Marilyn Monroe, Rita Hayworth, Joan Crawford, Judy Garland. If there was any, Judy Garland. I just watched the Judy biopic and it's all about her last marriage to this kind of 28 year old, uh, sketchy entrepreneur guy. Um, but the funny thing is the movie's very, uh, shy about it. Like huh. it, it really doesn't want us to imagine an older woman and a younger man, even now in after 50 years of, of movies of, you know, 70 year old men with Catherine Zeta Jones. Right. Like it really thinks we're going to be a little squeamish if, if Renee Zellweger and Finn Whitrock are, are a little too passionate in their hotel room. Anyway, yeah, Judy Garland had no problem with uh, with a younger trade, a younger classic guy. Mm-hmm. And Ruby was just apparently a genius. You know, Josh Gabor would come back and find her uh, hotel suite just filled with flowers and a note that said, uh, you are the most beautiful woman in the world. 
you know, Do- signed, <clears throat> signed Don Porfirio Rubirosa, Minister Plenipotentiary of the Dominican Republic. Oh, so he was a Dominican diplomat? He was. He was a, a macho. He kind of created the macho archetype of the, the suave Latin man uh, that, that has persisted to this day. Did he talk like Antonio Banderas? Are we, are we going to do his voice as Antonio Banderas? I the am whole? absolutely going to do. I was kind of doing Ricardo Montalban. Yeah, okay. That's a good one. But uh, <laughs> I'm going to absolutely say yes, okay. he did. Are we okay with that? Yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> he was apparently not like the, the hottest young guy on the dance floor. But he was uh, just very gallant, you know, always had one red rose, you know, would dance with the same woman all night, just looking into her eyes like she was the entire universe. Right. And, you know, he just had the knack. Uh, And, you know, as his, he was not lying on his, on his business cards. He was a diplomat by career, but it was really just a way to hang out in Paris. He didn't actually do any diplomacy it turns out so how did he how did he rise to this station that is, is this a story where he was born born in rags and and this is all a, a sham or does he come from uh does he come from spanish uh, some spanish line of um of, uh, very important people he was middle class in the dominican republic and his line to power goes through uh rafael trujillo oh the feared and fearsome dictator of the Dominican Republic from the 30s all the way into the early 60s, probably one of the worst people on the planet at the time. Right. And we'll, we'll get into that a little later. But, it's but, a, but it's that a, was his entree into European society. It's amazing how much a dictator can level a class system <laughs> and just sort of... <laughs> oh, you were the guy that didn't pick up the phone during the coup? Hey, you're my new minister to Berlin. Congratulations. No, that is absolutely what happened with with uh, uh, with kind of a sexual overtone that we will see in a moment. I can't wait. He's, uh, he, you know, as you would not be surprised to hear, Ruby kind of slept his way to the bottom, then the middle, then the top. Was he bisexual? Uh, I don't think there's any evidence of that. Although, you know, we're recording this the same week that Scotty Bowers died, kind of the legendary Hollywood. Uh, I don't even know what this job is called. I don't want to say pimp. Fluffer. The guy. <laughs> The guy you would call if you were Spencer Tracy and Cary Grant and wanted everyone to think you were straight, but wanted to meet nice, discreet young men. Oh, I see. Uh, but you don't want to say pimp. No, because he was just, he was a... Procurer. He was, he was putting people together. Concierge. What do you call somebody who makes relationships like that? He was, he was a maven, a uh, mentor. For, uh, uh, right, a, a, a yenta. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> he was a West Hollywood yenta. That's exactly right. And not strictly for the gay scene, although that's although those are all the most scandalous stuff in the memoirs. Um, so you know, at this time, all the most you know dapper masculine men on the planet had no problem, you know, uh, you know, experimenting on the side. Apparently, Middle America was right about that too. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't just Marlon Brando and James Baldwin and Richard Pryor in a threesome or, or whatever. Um, but most of his attention appeared to be on the ladies, uh, as a. He, uh, after a, a brief falling out with Trujillo, he, you know, he wound up s- kind of stuck in Paris with no source of income. And, oh. and that's when he can't go home. The worst thing about being a playboy is to end up somewhere with no source of income. It really appears to have been very formative for him uh, because, it, you know, it really shapes what he spends the next decade of his life doing. But during the period kind of uh, around the beginning of World War II, um, 
you know, because he had no source of income, he would sell Dominican visas to Jews trying to get out of Europe. Oh. So he's like, you know, basically, what if Oscar Schindler just wanted to drink and play polo all day, you know? Uh, right. So, so it was, there was a profit motive. He found a market that was, that was like not being exploited. Right. And, and just, and, and he, he wasn't fussy about whose visas he stamped. And was that, did that result in a, in a Jewish it, community in the Dominican it must Republic? Have. I wonder if, I assume that was just a stopping over oh, point. On their way and they somewhere. were all in Miami by the end of the week or, right. or Havana or something. I don't know. It would be interesting if there's still some lively synagogue in Santo Domingo, from the early Trujillo era, but I don't think so. Or to trace uh, to trace some expatriate population that that remained somewhat intact. Yeah, they all came through this one fixer, Ruby Rosa's list. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> imagine imagine all these kind of like all these uh, you know elderly uh, Jewish folks and their and their multi generational descendants standing in front of some you know grave at Père Lachaise with a picture of a Ferrari on it. <laughs> <laughs> When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free, plus $20 off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. That's butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. So he fell out of favor, but he still had access. He still had enough diplomatic access that he had he had a, like a prescription pad for Dominican visas. Yeah, he was still working in the embassy, but Trujillo was angry at him and he couldn't come home. Uh, and, and he was just unscrupulous. You know, at one point, uh, he uh, he found a, a Spaniard who had fled the Civil War who wanted to get out, but he wanted, the guy wanted to make sure he brought with him, it was a jeweler. The Spaniard wanted to make sure his jewels came with him. And so Ruby Rosa, Porfirio said, oh, I'll go to Madrid and check it out. And he comes back and says, yeah, sorry, uh, your st- your store was ransacked. I got shot out. The jewels are all gone. The jeweler's like, really? They were they were all safely there. Uh, you got shot at. Your car seems fine. Yeah, see, uh, amigo, what are you going to do? You know, like the guy. You know, he he would he just ransacked the guy's shop wow. and, and took uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of jewels. To, a burglar to finance. Yes, he's a burglar. Um, and uh, during the war, he marries, in fact, France's biggest movie star. This is kind of his his social climbing begins. Da- mm. Danielle Dariu. Um, she was a Nazi sympathizer. Okay. It turned out she was super excited about the invasion. Sure, sure. Uh, and uh, as a result, she was a contra... Like Maurice Chevalier and all these other people that agreed to perform for the occupiers during right. the war. They played Sun City. <laughs> was, yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they played uh, Le Cité de Soleil. <laughs> uh, so he had, they had to get out of Paris for all. And he spent most of the war as a gentleman farmer on Daniel Darius' estate outside of Paris. But he liked the idle life. And 
when the war ended, he decided he wanted as much of that as possible. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you? Pretty formative experience, right? Laying around in a movie star's, a collaborational movie star's house. So after the affair with Daru goes wrong. Uh, collaborational. What am I talking about? Go ahead. That's, no, I'm sure that's the word. Okay. All these collaborationalists <laughs> with their collaborationalistism. Uh, he, uh, after the war, he, uh, you know, he, he doesn't seem to stay with these women for that long. The, the appeal of him as a, as a lover apparently palls at some point. Sure. I mean, <clears throat> not to, not to reveal too much knowledge, but, um, if we are going with the measurement here of an, of an 11 inch member, as we say, <laughs> endowment, <clears throat> I feel like, uh, that seems impressive. Like at at first blush, like, wow, holy simoleons. But <laughs> that famous expression. But I bet it, it gets kind of tiresome pretty fast because it's because that would that would be that would be abnormally large. It would not be probably like especially useful. Yeah, at some point the novelty point. must Paul. Yeah, it's a it's I a, can only imagine. It's a novelty rather than a Rather than a practical well, instrument. When we bought our house, uh, our, our house has, has kind of a, a lovely view of the Cascade Mountains, as many homes in the Seattle area do. Mm. And I just thought, wow, I will just stare at this all day. Like, this is like nothing I've ever seen before. What a, what, what a delight this will be in my life to have this beautiful mountain panorama. But guess what? Every time you open the curtains, it looks exactly the same. Mm. And eventually, it's just not as exciting as it was the first time. It really just kind of blends into the background. This is part of the house. There's mountains outside it. Your brilliant million-dollar view of the mountains is the 11-inch of this analogy? It's the 11-inch of the listing, certainly. I see. That's what I, that's what I, that's what I put in the listing. Oh, of course. Right? If you're going to sell the house, it's the first thing you say about it. <laughs> right. But, uh, <laughs> but you don't want to tell the people, you know, it's just— it, it, Right. You're not going to sit and stare because yeah. it, looks, it looks the same every, every night. Did you, get, did you get the sense that Ruberosa left all of his paramours— uh, happy, or did he? Uh, were, was there bitterness in in the in his trail? There appears to be a little bit of both. Uh, he apparently hit Jaja Gabor, hmm. like she would show up with a eye patch or dark glasses or something. Uh, so you know he's 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 the the fiery uh, awful misogynist of his time. Hmm. Um, but and yet she spoke very fondly of him. Like they, everybody remembers their time with him. Very well, but here's what's remarkable about his womanizing in the in the late 40s to early 50s. He marries in a row the two richest women in the world, two either billionaires or future billionaires. Billionaires? Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. I hate to gender. I hate to gender I think, billionaires. I think billionaire is, is what we'll go with, but Bil- billionaires is a nice is a nice coinage. In 1947, he married Doris Duke. Sure. The heir to the Duke Tobacco Fortune. Right. Uh, Duke University uh, to this day bears the name of the, the Lucky Strike Fortune. And she was at the time the richest woman in the world? She was. Uh, and uh, Before your, Walmart, the, the Walmart uh, daughter. Right. Before <laughs> before Sam Walton split all his money and made, made eight women the one through eight richest people on the planet. <laughs> uh, like apparently at the time that Doris Duke died – in 1993, there were only two photos by her bedside, and one of them was Porfirio Rubirosa. Wow. Like, she still had fond memories of her years with Ro- Ro- Ruby. And the other one was Bert from Sesame Street. <laughs> it was so weird. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bert, why did you never love me? I don't know. Is she from the Carolinas? Must Probably. have been. 
So they spent most of their years together. He was posted to Argentina, and uh, but you know, but he he goes to Argentina to see you know what's up with the center right dictatorship there, and of course ends up sleeping with Eva Perón the whole time. So he doesn't seem like a great guy to be married to. He's a real gump. Doris Duke, uh, you know, kind of a pretty society girl at the time, but uh, you know, it was commented on at the time that he was marrying kind of a, you know. It, she, she, yeah, she wasn't Ava Gardner or Rita Hayworth, you know, right. like, but he was just delighted that she had a billion dollars. And, uh, I mean, and there's no place more like mid-century glamorous than Buenos Aires. Sure. I mean, glamorous in a way that, uh, it's, well, it's still pretty mid-century glamorous sure, the there wide, now. <laughs> the wide boulevards and, uh, I guess he was not in love with it, you know, despite the attractions of, of Evita. He would just spend as much time in, he'd get posted to Havana or Buenos Aires or wherever. He would just spend as much time as he could in, in Paris where he knew, he knew all the nightclubs and he knew everybody. Um, the, the marriage to Doris only lasted a few years. She, she made him sign a prenup, but even w- once they split up, he got all the stuff. He got the polo ponies and the, the, the Peloponnese and the, the three story home in Paris like, and the cars right. and the planes and whatnot. So she must've had some fond memories. Sure. She, you know, she kicked him down 2% of the, of the interest payments on her, on her property. In 1953, he married the second richest woman in the world, Barbara Hutton. Uh, to, has she come up? I believe she's come up on the she other four. Heir to the Woolworth fortune. Yeah. And, uh, you know, famously, we should do a show on these poor little rich girls I know. of the mid 20th century. Yeah, my great uncle, um, married the <clears throat> heiress of the Buster Brown shoe fortune. In the 1920s, 1930s, and lived in a giant house on in, in Connecticut on the water uh, that was like the Buster Brown house. And, <laughs> the house that Buster built? And he sat there in a giant chair as though he had made all that money and sent really, really preachy uh, letters to my grandmother telling her she was screwing up. <laughs> Barbara Hutton had been a beautiful woman. She was married to Cary Grant. Um, but she was now, I think, in her 40s. And oh, well, that's a death knell. <laughs> well, she'd been – yeah. So game over. In, in her 40s. <laughs> well, she had already been married to Cary Grant and three European noblemen named Igor or something. As was the style at the time. Sure, as you would expect. So yeah. she she flitted from husband to husband. She was kind of the sadder but wiser girl at this point. I guess she you know she had such a great time dancing, et cetera, with him that she just said, you married Doris, now it's my turn. Oh, wow. She was happy to inherit him. And at this, her fifth wedding, she wore a black wedding dress, got married at the Dominican embassy. She had, she was holding a scotch and soda as she walked down the aisle, Damn! which to me is the ultimate Come on. power move. This girl is fire. <laughs> and you know, this marriage really didn't last any longer, but it was, it was the same kind of a thing where, you know, he left it with, he inherited yet another airplane from her. He winds up with two B-25 bombers. That's genius. One from each marriage. That's genius. That have been kitted out as like limousines. Have you never thought of just marrying a woman for her B-25? The number of heiresses who have B-25s is a lot lower now than it was in 1952, I'm betting. You have to wait for the first crop of Seattle billionaires to have uh, poor poor little rich girl daughters. If if Paul Allen had had any children, Mm -hmm. uh, they would be... They would have plenty of World War II vintage aircraft at their disposal, but he fortunately or unfortunately uh, died without siren. Oh, speaking anyone. of which, Ruby was uh, sterile as well. 
which oh. was which was another big perk really? in, in the pre-birth control era. Yes. How did how was that determined? Just uh, Oh, it was by me reading an article about him. <laughs> Is that what you mean? <laughs> no, I mean I mean I guess it, I I always assume in a in a period like that that someone's sterility would be established by them attempting to have children with their spouse over the course of many years mm-hmm. and then going into the doctor and saying, what's wrong with me? Whereas someone who's just playboy gallivanting from place to place. He has no idea how many, the trail of abortions he's leaving in his wake be- yeah, before and, he's and, elected the 45th president of the United States. And it never occurs to him to, uh, it never occurs to him to like go to the doctor and go, you know, I should have gotten at least one of these girls pregnant. It may have been knowledge from his first marriage, which we'll get to in a moment, oh. which I've kind of glided over for dramatic purposes. But uh, it may have also just been literally the thousands of women that he was sleeping with. He kind of, he figured it out. Huh, interesting. Maybe it was a Hemingway-esque war injury. Should we imagine that? Yeah, let's say, well, I don't know. He doesn't sound like he experienced any war injuries. (laughs) He did experience very little war, but he was an adventurer. Harold Robbins based a a, a kind of a Latin adventurer Lothario character on him. And apparently there's a school of thought that he may have been a very close inspiration for James Bond. Really? Ian Fleming's uh, Caribbean connection, you know, spending all his time on Jamaica, right? Was GoldenEye on Jamaica? Yeah, I think so. Uh, it meant he hung out with uh, all these people who would have been in Ruby's circle, Errol Flynn and Noel Coward. And uh, and Ruby was very much a Bondian figure, you know, hanging out. You know, he would get up every day and play polo, his real passion in the morning. But then as soon as polo was over, it was just scotch for the rest of the day. Um, and, and Scotch did, and gambling. Was there any sense that he was in espionage? Did he do, like, was there tradecraft? In his story? There is going to be uh, the hint of tradecraft oh, coming oh, up. Exciting. Uh, so, but I don't know if that's what would have inspired. I don't. Those rumors were out there. So that may have inspired Fleming. But we're talking but, about like white flannel adventuring. We're not talking about, he didn't go into the jungle and discover a new kind of butterfly. He searched for sunken treasure in the Caribbean All right. in 1952. He had the two B-52 bomber, or B-25 bombers, obviously. Right. I'm, I'm dyslexic about these bombers. Right. Uh, which he could pilot. Um, he turned the, this is this is adventuring at home, but he turned the third floor of the house he had inherited from Doris Duke. Uh, he got rid of the servants' quarters and put in a full bar and a boxing ring. So he could just have boxing matches at night uh-huh. after the after Jimmy's disco closed. That does seem pretty, pretty continental he raced ferraris at le mans twice he was on the he was on the 24-hour race at le mans twice so he was a a fast and dangerous driver which will also play into his story so i think fleming is maybe responding more to his just glamorous womanizing devil may care lifestyle than anything else do do you uh, in 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 following a story like this and meeting someone like uh like porfirio porfirio don porfirio don porfirio does it cause you to question uh, your own life and how few times you've been to Paris and how how uh, how little of this kind of wanton uh, adventure you've had? Because I've never played polo in the morning I, once, not a single time. I just feel like I would be a bad fit for the idleness of it. For the hanging out with no clear purpose. Yeah. I mean, I guess I I have fond memories of doing that in college, Mm -hmm. you know, just long nights of Risk or Mario Kart or pizza or whatever, and just shooting the bull with with nobody. You've got to get up and do some work. Right. Like, and I guess he did have a schedule. 
polo, then scotch. And then he would say around in the mid-afternoon, he would start to feel what he what he called the petit cochon. Hmm. The little pig in hmm. his brain would start to wake up and... Oink, oink, oink. Sure. Women, you know, like uh, he would feel, he would start to feel the, the urge drawing him to uh, to the nightlife. But I, I just feel like I feel guilty. I feel kind of guilty when I go to a movie during the day. Yeah. I, I feel like uh, d- that's the closest to Don Draper I ever get. You know, <laughs> like, but do you think you could do it? Oh, uh, to be an international playboy? Like you sit, in, you sit in bathtubs a lot. Yeah, I think I would be. I think I would be pretty good at it. You know, I've always felt like my dad acted like, um, like he was the scion of a wealthy and fallen sort of family of, of former aristocrats who, whose name was, you know, still, still the name still was the passport, although there wasn't any money behind it. By the time that mentality got to me, um, I no longer even felt like the name had any, uh, cachet, but I still, you know, I walk into a room and assume always that I'm welcome and I, I have friends that comment on this. Like it's the first thing they notice about you. That that I that I seem that, but, yeah. In any room, you're just like hey. And that I, so I've always felt like I that I belonged in this somewhat this life. But I also believe that if I had at, had access to it, I would have been a bad person. And I don't. You know, we could we could look at Porfirio and and judge whether or not we think he's a good person. But I I feel like there it would have it would have made my heart a different thing if I had had if I had had the wealth to um to go through life with no consequences. Think about those John those stories John Mulaney tells about watching Mick Jagger at SNL and how he's just a guy who for fifty years has been able to say Diet Coke and a Diet Coke appears in his hand. He just says it to the room. Yeah. He doesn't direct it to right. anyone. And a Diet Coke will just appear, and he knows that will happen. Imagine what that would do uh, yeah. to your soul. I you heard know? a story about Keith Richards that he was at somebody's, you know, see, he was invited to someone's beautiful home in somewhere in the Carolinas for for whatever reason. I don't remember what it was. And he just threw his, he was walking through the house like, yeah, it's a nice, nice house. And took a drag of a cigarette and just threw it on the carpet <laughs> and kept walking. Because he knows. no. At, at first, it was just like, nobody will tell me no. And then at some point, it's just like, he doesn't even think anymore. Even no think. one has ever told me no. Like, it, it doesn't even matter. Yeah, it's just, it's just the corrosive effect of of uh of money and cocooning like that i guess yeah so let's let's hear i want to so, hear i want to hear if, his, his his fall here well, so if i was thinking if i was an international playboy i would be uh i would be the kind that's using it as cover yeah well that's the way I i'd asked. be super busy being bruce wayne if you were if you were up to something right if you were carrying diplomatic pouches or you were sure. working on behalf of a shadowy agency then if I'm repatriating stolen antiquities yeah, at the time. Exactly. You can do all this James Bond stuff and feel like you're you're um doing good in the world. But it's right. not really I need a, to have sex with Ava Gardner. I'm sorry. Sorry, I, look. N- I I don't want this. I had to establish my cover. <laughs> it was I had to do it. I felt bad about it. And that there's some suggestion that this may have been true of uh uh Ruby Rosa as well. Um his connection with Trujillo. So Trujillo took power in uh, around 1930. Some ineffectual uh, Dominican president got pushed out of the way for 
Trujillo, who had who had been trained by you with and by U.S. Marines, ironically. Sure, that's how that's how it works. We, we don't usually have too many scruples about that kind of thing. <laughs> no, he didn't seem like a Marxist, so yeah, let him do whatever he wants. And he was awful. He was a Caesar of the Caribbean. Um, and Trujillo was his, uh, and and uh, and he chose Ruby Rosa as a protege. Just kind of picked him out of the military, and uh, and what soured their relationship briefly was that. Ruby Rosso just was unable to control himself and uh, wound up in an affair with Trujillo's daughter, oh. Flor de Oro, oh. flower of go- golden flower. Uh, and so for a while, Trujillo, this was some unforgivable thing. Trujillo was going to have the guy killed. And, you know, finally, uh, maybe Flor f- throws herself at her father's feet. No, Papa! Papa, I love him! Uh, they all speak English with... Of course, uh, of course comi- they do. Comical, to one another. Comical Latino accents. <laughs> And uh, he ends up kind of reconciling with uh, Trujillo. Trujillo sends him to, well, he, he sends the couple to, to, I guess, Hitler's Berlin is their first posting. <laughs> <laughs> and from there, Paris, which, you know, uh, where um, Ruby Rose is like a, a cachon in, in Merd. Um, uh, but Trujillo kind of comes around on him. At one point, Trujillo visits Paris and uh, Ruby shows him a good time takes him to the Eiffel Tower. He apparently like beds some woman in, uh, somewhere in the restaurant of the Eiffel Tower or something. And Trujillo's like, oh, you're not wrong. Paris is great. And he decides that that, uh, that Ruby Rosa is his guy. He says he's an excellent diplomat because women like him and because he's a liar. And the other thing that saves him is, is his friendship with Trujillo's son and eventual successor, Ramfis Trujillo, who, if it's possible to be more of a psychopath than his father... It's always true, right? If you're raised right. by somebody like Keith Richards or Rafael Trujillo or uh, Donald Trump or whatever, like you know, you're just going to be a a bad clone of it, right? A bad clone. It just uh, you 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 hope that um, that the sociopath passes on his uh, his worst genes. Like in the case of the the Trump sons, you get the feeling that ne- that their combined intelligence, <laughs> you know, wouldn't allow them to get out of a of a uh, of a Puzzle room. Yeah, or they're like they're like the fifth generation Michael Keatons from from Multiplicity. Like <laughs> they're, they're, the copy's just getting worse and worse. Um, but but uh, Ramfis Trujillo was legitimately terrible. Like the FBI file on him or CIA file on him says that as a kid he would just cut off chickens' heads for or sh- shoot rifles, shoot guns at chickens' heads for fun. Right. You know, just You're decapitate typical. chickens with a revolver. Yeah, typical. Just straight up uh, serial killer stuff. Yeah. And so, like by the time of adolescence, you know, he's he's just gang raping everything as far as that I can see. And then later when he's given some power, uh, even worse, if that's possible, he, he kind of heads up all the torture and murder that follows the unsuccessful 59 uprising against his dad. And then once he takes, once uh, Trujillo falls out of favor and is eventually killed in 61, uh, you know, he again tortures and murders just literally thousands of, of people to try to consolidate power. Um, so he's awful. But he's also a playboy. He's also flying around the world, betting Kim Novak and driving fast cars. And so he and Ruby become fast friends. And that's kind of what saves uh, Ruby Rosa with Trujillo after the marriage to Floor ends and he starts marrying movie stars and heiresses. Oh, so he didn't lose. um, Somehow Flora... uh stayed on his or he stayed on her good side or he because he was friends with her brother it didn't matter whether she was happy or not i think i think both i think i think she uh i guess 
everybody forgives this guy, which yeah, is one right. of the weirdest things about his story. He's a liar. He's a, the women love him and he's a liar. Um, the thing about the Trujillo regime is that they were not shy about committing crimes and atrocities, not just on the island of Hispaniola. You know, they would love to just, the, you know, killing 10,000 Haitians was nothing to them. But they would also do crimes on foreign soil. Trujillo tried to kill the president of Venezuela at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, the most famous case in 1956, there was a Basque international law professor named Jesus Galindez, who had written extensively on Trujillo's crimes and atrocities. And he just disappeared from a subway station at 57th Street in New York while he was teaching at Columbia. Whoa. The guy just, Trujillo just had a guy disappeared from Midtown, basically. Huh. Uh, Jimmy Hoffa story all over again. Basically, except he's sending foreign agents to do it. Um, And Ruby was always rumored in the tabloids to have connections to these awful exploits. The tabloid said two things about him. One, because he's a, he was always described as nut brown. He's a dusky Creole type from the racially indeterminate Caribbean. They said one of the worst things you could say about a, 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 an upper class person at the time, which is what if he's black? Sure. Brown. Right. They would, would have said colored or Negro, but right. you know, the implication would have been mixed ladies. You think this guy's suave, but what if instead of the best thing, sex with a Spanish man, it's the scariest thing to white people. What if it's a black guy, you know? So there would be a lot of these headlines, but the other scandalous ones were, were his connection to Trujillo's international regime of murder, uh-huh. <laughs> which is to me on a whole different level. <laughs> Ken, what do you do uh, about uh, Caitlin and Dylan on the internet? Do you just let them have unfettered access to the web? When they were littler, that was not a problem. It was cute that they were on Club Penguin or Webkins all the time. Right. And now I literally spend 90% of my waking hours thinking, what are my children getting up to online? And you've talked about trying to, to limit uh, their their access, and then you find that Dylan's got a some burner phone under his bed, and he's in there... This literally happened. Like with both my kids, I've had issues where we thought we had smart rules about screens and devices and nature finds a way, (laughs) you know, like, do you have policies for your daughter? Well, no, because I'm still in that stage where her interest in the internet is just like, can we watch Lady and the Tramp again? (laughs) And I'm like, no, it's problematic. Those were the days. So I have often wondered, like, how how do you solve this? Like, you know, it's, there should, you should be able to enforce whatever your family philosophy or household rules are around screens and devices and i've wished that there was a way to do it well there is a way and what? it's uh <laughs> and it's called circle uh circle is basically a way to manage your family's online time across all their connected devices inside and outside your home yeah i've been trying this out they sent they sent me a circle home plus a little circle app and it really does all the things i was looking for you know filtering who can go to what sites like enforcing time limits on when it's okay to be surfing and when it's not like which things do you not want your kids signing up for you know you can have a profile for each person on there it's customizable and it's it's every uh device on your network so my son's little burner phone workaround from season four of the wire would not work anymore yeah he could not outwit the circle home plus. So the only thing he can do now is go out to the parking lot of a, of a supermarket with his friends and look at their phones. Yes. I mean, you you know, there's, there's always going to be things to worry about with your kids, but like with circle, there's one less thing to worry about. Well, right now our listeners, which is to say the futurelings get $30 off of a circle home plus when you visit 
meetcircle.com slash omnibus and enter the code omnibus at checkout. If this is an issue in your home as it is in ours, in your era as it is in mine, I encourage you to check this out. Again, that's $30 off when you visit meetcircle.com slash omnibus and enter omnibus at checkout. meetcircle.com slash omnibus. Enter omnibus to save $30. In 1935, a, a Trujillo enemy named Sergio Ben Cosme was killed in New York. And... Ruby's cousin was fingered as the guy. And it was always suspected that Ruby Rosa had a connection to that killing and then subsequent other acts of violence for the regime as he traveled around the world, racing fast cars, flying bombers, getting nearly shipwrecked in the Caribbean looking for gold treasure. As he's having all these adventures, like what if he's also enforcing the iron will of his former father-in-law? Did his his wealth, did he use his wealth to lift the rest of his family up in the in their station, or was he someone that was always going from from a rich woman's bed to rich woman's bed as a way of, because he didn't actually maintain any money of his own? Uh, did, did he be, did he did he try to establish a dynasty, or did he just spend every nickel? Well, his family was you know upper middle class military types who were on the right side of the Trujillo uprising. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think his family was okay, but he was n- no. To answer your question, he was not great with money. Uh, in 1961, or so, I believe, a, a coup removed Trujillo from power, and you know, uh, Ruby, Ruby, because of his connections to the Rat Pack and Peter Lawford, and by extension the Kennedys, was immediately dispatched to Hyannisport to get on a yacht and to try to get diplomatic recognition for Trujillo's son and to lift the embargo that the U.S. and the Organization of American States had put in place after the attempt on the president of Venezuela. Huh. So he was really supposed to work Kennedy's ear. And he so this is like some high-level diplomatic intrigue. Yes. And I think, the as I understand it, Ruby could have got it done. But he got back to Santo Domingo only to find that Ramfis Trujillo, had, who instead of consolidating power in his dad's wake, had realized how much the citizens of the Dominican Republic hated the Trujillos and had just absconded to Spain with $200 million. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so Ruby thought he could get it done, but, uh, but that effectively ends his political career right then. And, sure. and this is a guy with what Ole Cassini estimated to be a $2 million a year lifestyle, $2 million, $1961, I assume right. jetting between San Tropez and Deauville and Palm beach and Gestad and, you know, this, this guy lived it up. So he has no home base now and presumably no money. He kept the place in Paris, but yeah, he, this is a guy with no income and, uh, there's, there's some consideration of doing what he does and, uh, maybe marrying Peter Lawford's ex or some other, some other beautiful heiress from his circles. But for whatever reason, he never does it. He, he kind of has to downscale and, and he lives the, uh, the early sixties, not in the status to which he had become accustomed. Huh. He has a he tries to sell perfume at one point with his you know ruby perfume. It'll, you'll be a hit with the ladies or cologne, I guess. Yeah. Um, and at one point he markets Pego Palo, a uh, an aphrodisiac. Supposedly, you know, you take a few drops from your vial of Pego Palo. Sure. Which I think are two words meaning wooden stick, maybe. So it's not it's not a subtle. Reference, but it's from some kind of Dominican herbs and tree bark that will give you the potency uh, of 
Porfirio Rubirosa. Right. Rich Corinthian Viagra. Uh, it's a Spanish fly. Yeah, exactly. Going back to the Spanish fly episode. So, uh, you know, so that's what he's reduced to in the early 60s. And historian, sadly, in 1965, his, his polo team wins the Coupe de France, a big polo cup. That's not sad. No. It seems like a little bit of a comeback. But it's by far the best thing that happens that day. Uh, because he and his set are, are partying the night away at Jimmy's, his favorite disco in Paris. Um, and at 8 a.m., they switch to a different club to get ham sandwiches. I guess Jimmy's doesn't have the ham sandwiches they like. Sure. Hamon. And heading back to, yeah, for his, <laughs> heading back to, to Jimmy's after his hamon, his, his late snack, around 8 a.m., uh, his Ferrari jumps a curb in the Bois de Bologna and Ruby plows right into one of the huge horse chestnut trees Ooh. in Western Paris. And his you know, it's a race car with a wooden steering wheel and it just plows right into his midsection. He gets essentially, you know, cut in half by a wooden steering wheel. Blech. And, you know, and uh, actually Ramfis Trujillo died in a similar fiery car crash, I think uh, maybe just a couple years later, around the same time. So his life ends in exactly the manner you'd expect behind the wheel of a Ferrari between nightclubs. Right. No Grace Kelly type at his side, I guess. But uh, but thus ends the, the sad story of... Uh, Die young and leave a somewhat beautiful corpse. People still remember, though, you know. Uh, apparently, if you go to any of these kind of old school restaurants in New York City or Paris, where there's enough institutional memory for the time when this guy was the king of the playboys, the most interesting man in the world, the original Latin lover, the creator of macho, married to the two richest women in the world. Any place that'll have memory of that, if you want pepper ground on your salad and they bring out the big wooden thick foot-long pepper grinder to your table, they will call it the Ruby Rosa. And that concludes Porfirio Rubarosa. Entry 1087.1K1210. Certificate number 41003 in the Omnibus. Futurelings, in the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram are archived at at Omnibus Project. Our handles were at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick. If in the future you want your salad salted, just ask for a Roderico. Is, is that pepper grinder bigger no, or it's smaller? The, it's a salt grinder. Oh, it's the salt grinder. It's not like this big foot long thing. <laughs> just a, Nobody wants know, that. But it is. It's not just like a salt shaker either. It's a you know. It's a. It's a respectable yeah, uh, salt uh, grinder. It's like a yeah thing that yeah normal sized. El Roderico. Thing. El Roderico. Give me the normal sized salt shaker, <laughs> waiter. Uh, I also am on Instagram at, at John Roderick. You can email us with all of your show ideas and ribald stories of your own prowess, your own great uncles, your own who, factual corrections, probably <laughs> who, who married heiresses. I would love to hear that. Yeah. If, if your uncles married Eri, Yes. I would like to know. Write us if they if they married billionaires. <laughs> if your aunts are all billionaires aunts, uh, we want to hear those stories. So email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. 
If you like the show, if you like the BDE that we're putting into this episode, please support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash omnibusproject. Uh, we have a fan group on Facebook. No one likes Facebook. Uh, I'm sure history will regard us as collaborationists. Maybe this will be the week. Facebook's not having a great week. Maybe yeah, people well, will remember. Maybe this is it. If there were another alternative to Facebook in terms of a place to host a lively fan group of people that are already there sharing recipes or doing whatever else they do on Facebook. I went on there yesterday. I've been, I've been not looking at Facebook for, for weeks. I went on there yesterday and within three minutes found on Facebook, somebody saying some stuff that made me mad. And I went on and left an excoriating comment. Yeah. That was like, you know what? You know what? You're a, you're a dumb I just let them have it with both barrels. Jeez, did you actually say that? And then I said it. I I pushed send, and then I closed my computer, and you know did that like. Well, I showed him, and it was only ten feet. I walked away, and ten feet later, I was like, "What am I doing? What am I doing? Don't go on Facebook." I'm gonna put some kind of plugin in your browser that lets you post things to Facebook that don't actually post. Yeah. So you feel good. You're like, yeah, yeah I told that guy. Took care of that sucker. Well, I should, first of all, I should not be allowed to send emails at, at one o'clock in the morning. I shouldn't, frankly, I shouldn't be allowed to send emails or communicate with other people. I should, it should all be done by runner. Uh, you know what I found out that our, uh, did you know this? Our, our friend Maria, uh, her phone is in black and white. Hmm. She makes her phone in black and white so she doesn't uh, get too into it. Like the, she feels like the candy colored, the intoxicating candy color of, of your uh, retina screen or whatever. So she makes it black and white. And it's true. I looked at her phone and it was uh, it was like looking at a Kindle. I, I almost fell asleep. <laughs> and I told this to somebody else and he was like, oh yeah, that's a thing I do on my phone as well. I set it to go to black and white every day at 1030 or whatever. Wow. So just. Okay. Because it's like we've decided we can't live without our phones. Right. But what if we just, like, make them bad? Wow, I like it. Make them bad every day at 1030. I like it. A little bit of just, you know, just like, it's like what AT&T used to do. Slow our phones way down so they're not as good. <laughs> uh, nighttime used to be the time for phones. Yeah, nighttime is the right time for phones. It would get cheap. You, you, could, you could make... Oh, yeah. Make, oh, know, I, can't, I can't call... I can't call grandma until uh, 9.30. Yeah, long distance rates go down. I forgot that. That's so charming. What a weird memory hole. Uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Facebook, by the way, uh, yeah, it's the future links on Facebook, the only place you should go. Yeah. It's, the rest of it is just for making your grandma into a white nationalist. And the, the thing is, I do not go on future links very often and write excoriating comments. I did a couple of times. If you recall, there were a couple of times when I... When I took umbrage, but we, that all, was, we all remember the incidents. That was years ago. Years ago, I haven't done it in a long time. Anyway, Facebook is a, is a terrible thought crime, and and in the future, we'll be judged for having a fan page there. But in the short term, the Futurelings page is delightful. Also, the Reddit page, jizz, devoted to us, are wonderful, wonderful places. Yeah, you just said there was no alternative, but there's Reddit. There's Reddit, which I kind of, as much as I understand it, is not an alternative. It's uh, it's maybe, it's only not as bad because it's not as what concentrated. If, what if instead of turning your grandma into a white nationalist, it just turned your, your teenagers into um, men's rights 
activists. Right. That's, like, the, that's the choice you have nowadays. <laughs> so depending on which way you want to go, uh, and also you can mail us actual things uh, to our P.O. box, a relic of a, of a different time, a relic of a time before before you just went on the internet and ordered everything you want and it came right to your house. I do feel like I'm walking into a sewing machine repair shop yeah. every time I check my mail. Did you... Do you you, Why does this exist still? What was the last time you went into a typewriter repair shop? <laughs> I mean, do you remember? No, I've been to a, I've been to a vacuum cleaner repair shop. Yeah, and I've been to a sewing machine repair shop. I don't know if I've ever had to repair a typewriter. I, I or, used, or did you just walk in for fun? No, or no, no. I used ask to, if the, the restroom was public. I used to go to typewriter repair shops, not all the time, but but often enough. Because you know, I would find an old typewriter, and it would have a uh, some you know some. This was when there were typewriters everywhere, and so it wasn't. I just what it's not like. Oh, I found another IBM Selectric in this room full of Selectrics. But I would find some interesting old typewriter, and I would collect it. Is the term of art, and then it, there would be some issue with it. It would be not calibrated, and I would take it to this little old guy that sat in a shop on the corner of like Olive and Boylston. He had a little corner. And I would take it in there and it was dark in there and he had like a overhead light over his work and I would leave him my typewriter and I'd come and I remember the day that that closed and I was like, well, who's going to fix the typewriters? <laughs> and the answer was no one. No we, one we will, found out. No one will fix the typewriters. None of the typewriters are fixed anymore. Uh, so mail us your things, your old typewriters, your granddad's old watches. What are the things that you are interested in? Uh, send me, Pen sets. Uh, send me your grandpa's, uh, silver age comic books. Oh, uh, oh yeah. That's what yeah. That's what stationary would be great. Yeah. yeah exactly. Stationary. Send me your old office supplies. Send me uh legal pads, heavy, half, half used legal, legal pads. Paper, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I stamps, don't, you know, stamps are a form of currency. I just don't want to go through your dad's stuff. I feel, I feel creepy. I really it, do. It feels ex- exploitative. Does not feel that way to me. I will. I will it's record. Like, it's why I don't watch Faces of Death. Oh, right. Mm. Like you know. Uh, well, that's not the same. Actually, no, the, no more kittens are going to be killed because you watched Faces of Death. I'm not squeamish. Like there, I know people who literally backed out of a house they were closing on when they found out there'd been a somebody died suicide. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, that does not trouble me. I'll use your haunted. I'll read your haunted uh, Green Lantern comics. Uh, our P.O. Box is P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. Support the show uh, with your generous financial contribution at patreon.com slash omnibusproject. That's patreon.com slash omnibusproject. It does seem like I just wanted you to say it three times, I guess. Patreon.com. <laughs> Patreon at the place to go to spend money on the feeling of having spent money on a thing. Listeners from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. But if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, could be our final word to you. But if providence allows, we hope to return to you soon for another entry in the omnibus.